as we come to turn our attention to the reading and hearing and explaining of God's word for today, uh, we're in uh, week four in this identity crisis series of messages uh, looking at the scriptures to affirm uh, identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, many different things that describe us as believers in Christ, and they're all for our affirmation and encouragement and strengthening us in our walk with Jesus Christ. So far in this series, we've looked at our security, and that's about our spiritual security, our eternal security. And we've been reminded of that in John 10, that when we are in Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Then we looked about our freedom from condemnation. And the Bible tells us, and we looked at that in Romans, that there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That means when we come to Jesus Christ by faith, confessing our sins and acknowledge Christ as our Savior, we don't have to fear any judgment for our sins, for our past, for, and I don't have to carry around any guilt and shame because when God looks at us, He sees us as righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ in our life. Last week we looked at a very challenging passage of Scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians where we were challenged to flee from sexual immorality and to honor God with our bodies because we were told there that our body is the temple of God's Holy Spirit. And so it was a great challenge to us. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're told today that we are God's anointed. We are God's anointed. Now, what does that mean for us? I think most of the time if we have any kind of concept about that at all, we think about the Old Testament. And we think about kings and priests and prophets being anointed and set apart for service unto God. But when we look at the New Testament, we see that the Scriptures describe us as believers in Jesus Christ, as we follow Jesus Christ, that we are anointed. And we find that Scripture today in 2 Corinthians. Now, when we look last week at 1 Corinthians 6, as we saw our identity as the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, and the challenge for us was to keep our bodies pure and to flee from sexual immorality, we talked about the city of Corinth and how terribly wicked it was, how perverted it was uh, as a culture about, about sexuality. And it was out of that background that Corinthian believers came, and they brought that baggage with them even into the church because they were having trouble fleeing from sexual immorality and living the gospel the way that we are supposed to live it when you come to Christ. It's a life-transforming experience, and it changes everything about your life. When we dig deeper into these two letters, First and Second Corinthians, we'll see that there was also an issue that Paul had to address, and that was uh, the Corinthians were questioning Paul's authority as an apostle. And that meant that they also were questioning uh, the message of the gospel that he proclaimed. They challenged his apostleship. And then they, they, at the same time, they challenged the message that he brought. So this letter of 2 Corinthians was basically written by the apostle Paul to the Corinthian believers uh, for three particular reasons. One was to defend his apostleship to acknowledge and to affirm that, yes, he was an apostle appointed and called by God and that what he wrote was absolutely true. So secondly then, his writing is to defend the message of the gospel, that what he writes is authentic because he is under 
the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God to write these words and to challenge them in their lifestyle. And that's the third reason why uh, we find this letter of 2 Corinthians written is because uh, the Apostle Paul was challenging the Corinthian believers to live the gospel life. And we find all of that in our scripture for today. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 1, and we'll look at verses 12 through 14, and then 18 through 22. And when we look at verses 12 through 14, we find here that, that Paul is defending himself and the gospel message that he proclaims. And he says, now this is our boast. He had been accused about boasting about his apostleship. And he says, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. Now, those are two words that are powerful as he defends his apostleship. In holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. All of this in his life is taking place because of God's grace. Nothing that he assumed on his own. Paul came to know Christ through God's grace. He came to be called as an apostle and set a point point apart as an apostle because of God's grace in his life. So he says, for we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. That's kind of a a, a blatant way of saying, look, you need to be able to understand this, and nothing I've written is beyond your ability to understand it. Then he says, and I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing to defend his apostleship and to defend the gospel, that he's written it in holiness and in sincerity and because of God's grace. Now we look over at verse 18 and read through verse 22. So, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. In other words, Paul is saying, we didn't tell you one thing and then tell you another thing. There's a consistency to what we're telling you. You remember that Jesus talked to us about the fact that our yes should be yes and our no should be no in terms of our speech. Paul is saying that's the way we're writing. We're not telling you that, yeah, it's one thing this time and then another thing another time. He's saying that we're telling you that it was not yes and no, but in him, that's Christ, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So Paul is saying the gospel is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and all the promises of God about the gospel are yes because of Jesus Christ. Now we get to the meat of what he's saying to us for today when we look at our identity. He says, now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. 
uh, there we find that we are identified as followers of Christ as being anointed. And look how he describes us. God makes us able to stand firm. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. When we look at that passage of Scripture and we see that we are defined as being the anointed here in the New Testament. Paul says we're anointed and set apart. I think we can find here three great promises through which God guarantees us that we are God's anointed as believers in Jesus Christ. Here's the first one of those guarantees. God guarantees our spiritual stability. And what does that mean for us? That simply means that he makes us, he, he empowers us, he emboldens us to stand firm in Jesus Christ. Verse 21 says, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. So if someone would doubt him and challenge his apostleship and authority, he's putting himself right there with the Corinthian believers. God makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. And see, those should be encouraging words for us today to know that we are the anointed of God and that in that process we are enabled by God to stand firm in Jesus Christ. We, we live in uncertain times. It's an unstable world in which we live. And I don't think there's ever been a greater need for personal and spiritual and emotional stability on the part of believers in Jesus Christ than it is today. And I think that there are two different ways that God's guaranteed stability that Paul talks about here helps us. The first one is that God gives us strength to stand straight in a world that seems to be out of control. I don't think we have to look very far just around us and especially in the, in the news that comes to us all the time to see that we live in a world that looks for every reason to be out of control. We see that there are natural disasters. You know, in the last several years here, we've been affected by the great thousand-year flood, by a hurricane, and then we got some uh, effects of the hurricane this year that hit down in Texas and then down in Florida and then destroyed some of the islands, and especially Puerto Rico. There are natural disasters that take place. Then there are those tragic things like the wildfires that we see raging out in California. Entire neighborhoods destroyed. People spending six hours in a swimming pool so that they can get away, so that they can survive the heat and the fire. They witnessed the tragic and unnecessary disasters like the senseless killings that took place in Las Vegas of innocent people at a concert. We continue to hear news about uh, about police officers being shot down in the line of duty. And we also don't have to look very far to see that we are, through every kind of, of means that's taking place today, a nation that's being divided by race and politics. And the bottom line for us is that sometimes in a world out of control, it's difficult to stand straight and remain focused. The state fair is in town. I don't know whether you've had an opportunity to go or not. Thursday was our day to go to State Fair, and we ended up being able to get all 20 of us there uh, for State Fair Day for our family. 
Now, it used to be as the children were growing up that I had the privilege of riding all the rides with them, and I enjoyed doing that. You couldn't get Cookie on rides. She doesn't like to do that. I got her on the double Ferris wheel one time in Kentucky, and I thought I'd never get her off of it. She was just, just grabbing on to the, to the bar so tightly. But so I got the privilege of going on with the kids on the ride. Now it's too expensive. We buy them the ride tickets and let them ride with their parents, and we just get to watch. But I remember, and I didn't even get over into the big rides this year. I stayed over there with the children this time, our grandchildren. But there was a tilt-a-whirl. You remember the tilt-a-whirl ride? Well, you get on that thing, and that thing just goes. It's kind of like a, a half a saucer or something sitting up sideways. And you get in that thing and spin it, and it just goes around and around and around and around a tilt-a-whirl. And when that ride is over and you get off of it, it takes a while to kind of get your bearings, you know. It's, you come off of there, and you can't stand straight or walk straight. Well, I think that's kind of an analogy about this crazy culture in which we live today. That it's difficult to get our bearings. It's difficult to stand straight, walk straight, see straight, think straight with all the things that challenge us about our life. But Paul is telling us, the Apostle Paul is telling us that in the crazy culture we live, the only way to stand straight is to stand firm in Jesus Christ and trust God's sovereign authority over all power and all events. This world looks for every reason that, it, that it's going just haywire, completely out of control. But we have to be reminded that God has his sovereign hand on this world and nothing takes him by surprise and he is in control of all things. And it's through his grace that he gives us the strength so that we can stand firm in a world that seems to be out of control. Then the second thing that I think that it, it means for us to be able to stand firm is that God gives us courage to stand firm against spiritual attacks. God gives us courage to stand firm against spiritual attacks. I think we don't pay enough attention to the fact that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. If you're a believer in Christ, you are engaged in warfare against God's enemy your enemy, and that's Satan. And it's Satan and his demons are constantly attacking God's people. But the Apostle Paul tells us because we are anointed, through Christ we have the power to stand firm in the face of these attacks. The Bible tells us in, in Ephesians 6, 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. You see, that passage of Scripture in Ephesians 6, 13 and following is the great passage of Scripture where Paul is talking to us about the spiritual warfare in which we are engaged. And he gives to us the spiritual armor that we're to put on. And if we put on that spiritual armor... We are completely protected and we are armed. We are, we are protected defensively as well as offensively from head to toe. With the helmet and the breastplate and the shield and, the, and the, uh, the sword of the spirit and the feet shod with the gospel of peace. All of those, the belt of righteousness, all of those things are given to us to empower us and to protect us so that we can stand strong when the enemy comes and engages us every day, 
we're attacked in various different ways, by temptations and by accusations of Satan. Satan comes and he talks to you in certain ways. He wants to put doubt in your mind about your salvation, about your relationship with God, and about your position in God. And if you are here with spiritual hearing, though, you can hear Jesus say to us through the Holy Spirit, stand firm. Stand firm. And God, through Jesus Christ, gives us the spiritual authority to stand firm. He guarantees it. See, that's one of the benefits that, that we have as being the anointed of Christ. And Paul wanted to let the believers in Corinth, in the world in which they live, know that they could stand firm against the temptations of the world and against the spiritual attacks of Satan. And the same thing is true for you and me today. We need the confidence as the anointed children of God to be able to stand firm in the culture in which we live today. You have to admit that it's messed up. You have to admit that there are problems. You have to admit that there are challenges. You have to admit that Satan is certainly on the move today. But we, as the anointed of Christ, have the power of God in us that allows us to stand firm. And to be successful in spiritual warfare. Now here's a second guarantee that God gives to us because we are his anointed. God guarantees our spiritual identity. How does he do that? The Apostle Paul says in verse 22 that he seals us with his name. Verse 22 says he anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us. This entire series of messages entitled Identity Crisis plays off of the reality of identity theft that is a major problem in our culture today. There are unscrupulous people who have ways to steal your name, your social security number, credit card information, and bank account information. And if you have been a victim of identity theft, you know what a nightmare that can be to get everything straightened out. Equifax, we're told, got, had, got hit by another breach again this week. One of the companies that I've seen advertised that offers us protection is LifeLock. If I remember correctly, that's the one where the owner of that company would come on and he would talk about how they could offer us the security and the protection that we needed through LifeLock. And he would give his name, social security number, and something else. I forget what it was. Just to show the fact that he could put that out, but that he could have his identity protected through his company called LifeLock. Well, LifeLock is one of many different companies out there available that guarantees you, at least they say they do, that they can protect your identity. Well, we have something even stronger than that, and that is when it comes to our spiritual identity, God has his own LifeLock on your identity. And when God locks something, it stays locked. And that, that lock, that life lock on us is that he has set his seal of ownership on us. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And what does that mean for us? Well, I think it means several things. But number one, God seals us to display his ownership. He seals us to display his ownership. When Paul would write about this, we don't see it as much today as we did back then. But in ancient times, a seal was like a signature. 
a king or a ruler would melt wax on an important document and then would take a signet ring and make an imprint on that wax and did two things. It sealed that document. And if it came in such a way where that, where that wax seal was broken, then they knew that that, that that was no longer secure. It had been broken. And they had violated the seal of whoever the authority was who put his imprint with a signet ring on that, on that document. See, that was his seal which would carry all the authority of his name and his office. Well, the Bible tells us that God has sealed us in the same way. Not only here in 2 Corinthians, but all the way back in the Old Testament through the prophet Haggai, chapter 2, verse 23 says, I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord Almighty. How does he do that? Well, he stamps his name in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and he lets us know that we belong to him. And God's seal is there to assure us of his ownership in our life because we are his anointed. In Ephesians 1.13, the Apostle Paul would write and say, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. See, that's God's way of saying, you belong to me. It's not a wax seal with a signet ring imprint on it. But we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. There can't be any more powerful life lock than that. And then I think there's a second observation to this, and that is God seals us to give us assurance. See, we're not only sealed by the Holy Spirit, that refers to God's ownership, but we are sealed for eternity. This goes back to the assurance of our security that we found in John 10, the security of the believer. That means when you come in faith to Jesus Christ, you become a child of God and you can never lose your salvation. See, another use of the seal in ancient times was to lock something away securely. Like, for instance, in, in the story of the crucifixion and the, and the death and burial of Jesus Christ, you remember that there were those who came and said to Pilate, you remember that this man said that on the third day he would arise, it's very likely then that his disciples will steal the body out of the tomb. You need to seal the tomb. And so what did they have Pilate do? Pilate had them to seal the tomb, and then he put his sign of authority on that tomb. Well, we know that that seal didn't stop Jesus, did it? But the use of Pilate's protective seal is the same meaning of this great truth. The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know why you can't lose your salvation and why you are secure in Jesus Christ? It's because your salvation has God's seal of heavenly authority over your heart and nothing, no one, nobody, no power can break that seal. That's why we have the assurance of salvation. That's what it means to be God's anointed. And then there's a third guarantee that God gives to us, and that is that God guarantees our spiritual destiny, not only our identity, but our spiritual destiny. In verse 22, the Apostle Paul says, God put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. We know that word deposit is a financial word. Now, you, you, you've probably uh, put a deposit down on something 
in your life that you would purchase, right? It means like making a down payment, like signing papers and driving off in a car. You put a down payment down, you drive off in the car, you take delivery of it, and then you got to pay for it. Either that or turn it back in. But it's an interesting word here that's used as deposit. And in King James, it's translated earnest. And it means money that's paid down without taking delivery of the purchase at that time. I said, we're used to, we're used to doing business this way. Whether we're buying a house or a car or something else, that we put down money and then take up payments on it. We put down a deposit and take up payments on it, and we take that item home. Once you go to closing, you move into the house. Once you sign the paperwork at the car dealership, you drive away in the car. Whatever it is you buy that you're paying for on installment payments, you put down a deposit and then you take it with you. But this is saying to us that God puts his spirit in our heart to show us that he is guaranteeing our final destiny. And we need to think about that in two ways. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment in the process of changing us. You see, we're not yet in the image of Jesus Christ. We're not yet at our full spiritual uh, maturity. We've not reached our full spiritual potential. But God has put the Holy Spirit in our life as a down payment for the process of changing us. God places the Holy Spirit in our life to empower us and to bring about the change in our life to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And that's a gradual process. Apostle Paul, again, is the one who wrote in Philippians 1.6 and said, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, once you decide to follow Jesus Christ, your eternal destiny is guaranteed. Your salvation is guaranteed. The Holy Spirit is constantly changing your character and every day making you more and more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. But we go back to that word, the earnest word here, that it's not taking that, that item at that particular time, not taking delivery of that, of that item, the purchase of it at that time. Because all, Paul is also saying to us that the Holy Spirit is God's promise that the best is yet to come, and we haven't taken, we haven't taken ownership of that yet. See, when you make a purchase with a deposit, you, you're paying a small amount indicating that more money will be following it. When God places the Holy Spirit in our hearts, he's guaranteeing us that there is so much more to come and we'll take ownership of that later. That's what Paul would say again in 1 Corinthians 2.9, kind of loosely translating or paraphrasing from a portion of Scripture in Isaiah 64. When he's talking about what awaits us, and he says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. See, God has made a deposit in our hearts in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit in our possession, meaning that there is more to come. See, there's no backing out on this deal by God. He's purchased us with his blood. He's put down his deposit through Jesus Christ, guaranteeing that those of us who are in Christ will be delivered safely 
into his hands. You might want to say like our souls are right now in escrow waiting for that final day of redemption. It also means that this isn't all that we're going to receive in Christ. See, if we took all the benefits that we could have simply from being a Christian, that would never, never be enough to satisfy us forever. But God tells us that that's just the beginning. It's just the first installment of what he has planned for us. Can you imagine that? Forgiveness, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, security as a believer in Christ. All of that is wonderful as we live in this world. But that's not all. There's more to come. The best is yet to come. God has all of that in store for us in eternity. But right now, we enjoy God's love, his presence, his grace, and his forgiveness because we are the anointed of God. God has set his seal on us, and he's placed the Holy Spirit in our life as a guarantee, a down payment, a deposit, earnest payment of what is to come, and it's going to be fantastic because we're God's anointed. So because we are God's anointed, Remember, remember the world in which you live and remember this. You can stand firm in Jesus Christ. Remember that you can live confidently in your identity as a child of God. And remember that you can live with the assurance of eternity in heaven and all the glorious promises that God has in store for us through Jesus Christ. It's a great privilege and a great comfort to be the anointed of God through Jesus Christ. We need to live it. Stand firm. Claim the power of God. Look forward, anticipate to the day that's to come, but live every day under the anointing and the authority of the Holy Spirit that's in your life. You are a child of God if you believe in Jesus Christ and you are anointed. That's significant. Let's pray. Fathers, we bow before you today. We thank you for the assurance once again of who we are as we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We thank you that we are anointed through the Holy Spirit. And through that, we're guaranteed of our salvation. We're guaranteed of our future. And right now, through that power that you put within us, we can live today with confidence, standing firm in a world that is uncertain. Well, if there's anyone today who does not know that confidence and the anointing that comes from believing in Jesus Christ and being in relationship with him, then I pray that they would come today to acknowledge him as Savior. For those of us who know Christ as Savior, may we live with confidence knowing that we are anointed, that we are his anointed ones, and we are able to stand firm with the assurance of the Holy Spirit in our life and live